Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the 88. I am Danny Naki Dan. I'm the Morgan B. What's up, baby? What is up? I'm excited about today's episode for real, for real. For real, for real. It's been a long time in the making, yeah? Seriously. Serious. <laughs> I'm dead serious. <laughs> well, hopefully we're going to get into Canis Major and Minor today. It's okay if we don't. It's okay if we don't, but I'm going to try. Okay. I'm going to try. We don't want to miss out on any details. Plus, this is like. Okay. So there's like a few things I get stuck in, a few constellations that just really blow my mind. One was Aquarius, uh, Argo Navis, and this one being the next one that's blown my mind since we've gone through these. And um, Aries. there's just so much information. You thought Aries was mind-blowing? Yeah. See? Isn't this crazy? It will literally like transform you almost the way you think. The it's it's crazy how this is working out and how you can see the stories and and how yeah. imprinted in our souls these stories are. And sometimes I think oh, it's a love story. Y- yes. For me, like very much like Aries connects into all like the God archetypes. So that's what tripped me out. It's like I understood what Aries was and like, you know, Aryans and like that time period of the horned people and the ram and everything. But I never the people from where Malta. I never realized like how much the Aries archetype plays into everything. So that was like blew my mind. But um I mean, all of these have so far blown my mind. Like you and Gabe went off right. on on the one last time on uh Canis, Oh gosh. Canis yeah, Vinatici. Canis Vinatici. Yeah. Canis Vinticorum. I didn't think Honestly, we we're gonna go for that three hours on that one, but yeah. I could well I could actually do more because I didn't get into all of the different galaxies and the types of galaxies. And I wish that I would have, um, if anybody wants to know, just like pop in the chat and ask, but yeah. Uh, or look it up. Hey, yeah, Hey, it up. Yeah, do your <laughs> there's research. five galaxies that, that come off of this one, like constellation star. Like it's, it, they named it La Superba, this prism, prismatic, beautiful star. And then it's got these like arms that come off of it. And each of the arms have galaxies that spiral off the arms in there. It's beautiful. That's all I have to say. Uh, Sunflower Galaxy, Cat's Eye Nebula. You um, are La Superba. The sky is La Superba. Let's get on with that. Uh, you You're beautiful. Isis veneration. Uh, Aw, thank you. You're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, I had a joke on my own saliva because I couldn't handle that compliment. Canis Major Constellation. Oh. 
Canis Major is a constellation in the southern sky. Its name means the greater dog in Latin. Uh, Canis Major represents the bigger dog following Orion, the hunter in Greek mythology. The dog is often depicted pursuing a hare represented by the constellation Lepus. The smaller dog is represented by the neighboring constellation Canis Minor. Both dog constellations are among the 48 Greek constellations, first cataloged by Claudius Ptolemy of Alexandria in his Almagest in the 2nd century CE. Canis Major is home to Sirius, which is we're going to get into some serious discussion about Sirius today. The brightest star in the sky, seriously, as well as to several notable deep sky objects, the Canis Major Dwarf Galaxy, the Open Cluster Messier 41, the Emission Nebula NGC 2359, also known as Thor's Helmet, and the Colliding Spiral Galaxies NGC 2207 and IC 2163. Okay, so I just want to stop there. And um, yep. uh, so an NGC is a non-globular cluster. We mm-hmm. talked about that the last time. Yeah, uh, a Messier object is a deep sky object that is not a comet, so it's either a galaxy, a nebula, or um, something else. Hold on. I think we uh, should. Uh, I just wanted say- to keep saying that in every episode, just so that it. People will start to understand. Yeah, well, because I I keep forgetting. Well, it's going to help us because <laughs> yeah. there's so much information uh, in regards to all of this. But um, so yeah, so it's and it was it's a messy object. So that just means it's just not a comet, right? So yes. um, and then they measure Messier objects by uh, like one through five, and then that gets interesting, and then you get spectral type so as we get go through these weird names of like boring shit that's really not boring <laughs> um i just wanted to bring it up yeah and this podcast is not for people that uh don't like space and think it's gay this podcast is for people that think space is uh metrosexual or meteor sexual sexual what the fuck <laughs> i mean excuse my language please edit that out um, I'm not going to. I'm trying to work on that. <clears throat> I'm trying to work on how I talk. I know you have but a very potty. Who mouth. thinks? <laughs> who thinks that space is gay? Literally, that's all I keep hearing. Is I know. Space is faking gay. I don't even know what that means. I truly a would of... love to know if somebody could explain that to me. <laughs> a lot of uh, bumping uglies in space, I guess, is going on. I have no idea. <laughs> oh yeah oh about oh oh yeah that's how we got here man <laughs> obviously it can't be gay because there would be no reproduction of anything in space let's no, get into that it can't be gay because we have women isis divine femininity veneration cults that are the heart of the center of the universe yeah and uh that i'm serious b <laughs> c and d <laughs> we know you want the serious d 
Well, let's. Uh... I'm serious. I'm seriously obsessed with like all those types of cultures, though. So let's go. Let's go. It's Canis Major is the forty third biggest constellation in the sky, which isn't very big. Uh, occupying an area of three hundred and eighty square degrees, is located in the second quadrant of the southern hemisphere, and can be seen at latitudes plus sixty and negative ninety degrees. The neighboring constellations are Columba, Lepus, Monoceros, and Pupis, or Puppis. What say you? Okay, you say nothing. The constellation name Canis Major Pupis. is... <laughs> Sorry, I was reading something. It's Pupis. Okay. The constellation name Canis Major is pronounced Canis Major. In English, the constellation known as the Great Dog... The genitive form of Canis Major used in the star names is Canis Majoris, pronunciation Canis Majoris. The three-letter abbreviation <laughs> adopted by the International Astronomical Union is, in 1922 is CMA. Canis Major belongs to the Orion family of constellations along with Canis Minor, Lepus, Monoceros, and Orion. Canis Major contains yeah. one Messier object, the star cluster mm -hmm. Messier 41, NGC 2287. So uh, a non-globular cluster is an NGC, and the uh, Messier object is a deep space object. Uh, so I could, I think, maybe see... Um, maybe maybe see a list of uh, messier objects and i got some you for could. you and uh maybe. it has four stars with known planets the brightest star and canis major is sirius alpha canis majoris is also the brightest star in the night sky there are no no meter showers associated with the constellation Canis Major contains 10 formerly named stars. The star names approved by the IAU are Adhara, Eludra, Amadihoa, Dioha, A-M-A-D-I-O-H-A, Ataka Koraka, A-T-A-K-O-R-A-K-A, Farud, F-U-R-U-D, Mirzam, Molafin, M-U-L-I-P-H-E-I-N, Sirius, Unurgunite, U-N-U-R-G-U-N-I-T-E, and Wezen, W-E-Z-E-N. Okay. Interesting so, names there. Yeah, so Wezen is interesting. Okay, so Epsilon and Hara. Is it like one of the bright stars? I think it's interesting that it's called Adhara because you know it it came from Asher Al Habora Alemana. Like um, that's how that word progressed. Mm -hmm. So I think that's interesting. Um, also, uh, Wazen means weight. You know what I mean? I think that's pretty interesting considering what we're about to get into. And um, another bright star is Mirzam, 
So that is like a prototype of a goddess figure. Miriam, Mizram, Mary, um, things like of that nature. So I just wanted to point those things out. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah. Canis majorly or Canis major is commonly taken <laughs> to represent the greater dog following the hunter Orion in Greek myth. The constellation is depicted as a dog standing on its hind legs, pursuing a hare, represented by a constellation Lepus. Canis major was described by Manilius as the dog with a blazing face. Because the dog mm. appears to hold Sirius, the brightest star in the sky, in its jaws. <gasps> in mythology, Canis Major is associated with Laelaps, L-A-E-L-A-P-S, the fastest dog what? in the it's world, just... one destined to catch anything it pursued. Zeus gave Laelaps to Europa as a present, along with a javelin that could not miss. The gift proved to be an unfortunate one as Europa herself met her end at the hands of her husband, Cephalus, Cephalus, C-E-P-H-A-L-U-S, Cephalus, who was You'll out see that a lot with a javelin. I think we should actually do, uh, 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 was it like a spelling sheet? when? <laughs> Like the gift to like third graders, yeah. you have to take home the words and practice spelling them, <laughs> turn them in. Oh my god, homework! <laughs> well, and, see, and that's how to the funny right. thing about some of these things are hard to pronounce, you know. <clears throat> but it's like really funny because even the words that I say are different than the way that you say them. So, who's to say that who is right? And that's what's funny about language, it yeah. really is a sword. It the word your mouth what you say, how you say it. So I would kind of feel uncomfortable learning having a split tongue like that. Does that make sense? I think we should bring back... When they say forked tongue. Yeah. We should bring back like umlauts and uh, the different things that go above letters so you know how to say them correctly. Like hieroglyphs. I think that's missing in English. Uh, no, excuse me, because it's all about what you say. Okay. I might sound crazy, but it, vowels are extremely important. And you yeah. and you see that, like, okay, yes, where people are located in the world extend their vowels. Now, if you take me, a Southerner born and raised in the South, I extend my vowels. I, I don't anymore as much as I used to because um, I've lived in different places and worked on it. But um, literally, if you take someone from Holland or somewhere like that, they extend their vowels in the exact same way, but opposite of the way that Southerners in America do. Does that make sense? Like it's the yodel. It's a, a vowel movement. It's yeah. the oscillation of your vowels. So I just think that's very mm-hmm. interesting. Sorry. Because they, mm-hmm. they use the little things above the vowel so they know how to pronounce the vowel correctly. Here we don't we don't have that. So mm-hmm. we just say everything. We're silent. The way that we think it sounds. So 
that I'm just, that's what I'm saying, you know. Um, Except for the south. <laughs> so Phallus took the dog to <laughs> Thebes in Boeotia, B-O-E-O-T-I-A, mm. a Greek province north of Athens, to hunt down a fox that was causing some trouble there. Like Laylaps, the fox mm. was very fast and was destined never to be caught. Once the dog found the fox and started chasing it, the race did not appear to have an end in sight. Zeus himself finally ended it and turned both animals to stone. He placed the dog in the night sky as the constellation Canis Major. So that's how it got into the sky. Because all According constellations are from catastrophes. But that's just one mythology. You have to understand there's like five mythologies behind this one star. <laughs> yeah. It, if you really want to get into it, which we can't because we don't have five days to talk about it straight. But it's very interesting, this one star. And it's crazy. And it goes all the way back to... It's important to several different cultures. And that's the important thing because when people venerate the same type of sky object that tells you that there's something to it, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Definitely. And so for <clears throat> and Boatia or Boatia or Bota or Boatia, that is a very important place. And um uh, it gets really interesting when you're when you start talking about that and Sirius and the queens of like prior before Roman times. Uh, well, I don't know actually. Some my my theory is that Crete and then Egypt and then Italy and then France. But that's just my opinion. It and and it doesn't mean anything. But um, I think Crete came before. Egypt, but anyway. Um, okay. So, uh, the it's like a story, like, but it's got so many different layers, is what I'm trying to say. But I'm talking like in circles about it, so <laughs> you can edit that out too. Okay. I've, Listen, I've been I in a silent not. period. <laughs> I haven't really spoken to anyone, and I've just been like, I don't know, um, not myself lately. So. Let me talk, okay? <laughs> uh, Canis Major Star, Sirius, the Canis, or Canis Majoris. Sirius, also known as the Dog Star, is the brightest star in the sky and the fifth nearest star system to the sun. Sirius is a binary star with an apparent magnitude of Negative 1.42. It is only 8.6 light years distant. The brighter component, Sirius A, is a white main sequence star and the companion to Sirius B is a white dwarf that orbits the primary every 50 years. The distance between the two stars varies between 8.1 and 31.5 astronomical units. The companion is not visible to the unaided eye, which is Sirius B. So 
that's a big thing mm. that's going to come up uh, later when we talk about the Dogon and how they knew it was there. So you're saying that it's a cloaked star? Nope, it's just not visible to the naked eye. But it's there, most definitely. Yeah, you can see it with a telescope or whatnot, but you just can't see it with visually. So wh what if it's just like a satellite of that star? Why does it have to be another planet? Well, I don't know. It doesn't I don't I don't know. Uh, or a binary, I guess. It may, binary, I guess yeah. that's the way it works, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just wondering. See, I'm, just, is, I'm just asking questions. Spice space is binary, non-binary. <laughs> oh, shut up. Let's not even get into that. Space is uh interesting to say the least, even if it's uh uh what is the what is Anthony Key to say? Um it's kind of space true. Space may be a final frontier, but it's made in a Hollywood basement or some shit like that. Yeah, but that has yeah. nothing to do with this. But the non-binary um, aspect okay. has to do with the fact that these planets can be uh, kind of, uh, they're seen as gods, uh, male and female. They're not necessarily one or the other. There's always a dual aspect of the nature of them, you know? Uh, there so, has to be though for it to be a male and female right you have to have duality right okay that's what I'm saying is they all do have that duality aspect so uh, Sirius A belongs to the special class A1V and the dwarf to DA2 uh, Sirius A has twice the mass of the sun and is 25 times more luminous. Sirius B is almost equal to the sun in mass, 0.98 solar masses, and is one of the most massive white dwarfs known. So it's like Gimli. <laughs> Sirius A has an absolute visual magnitude of 1.42 and Sirius B 11.18. The age of the star system is estimated to be between 200 and 300 million years. Just interesting because I think Dang. Earth is like 500 and something billion or something like that. Or so they say. Yeah. So, uh, the name Sirius well, comes from... Re recorded history. The name Sirius comes from the Greek Sirios. Serials, yep. Serial. S E I R I O S, which means scorching, glowing, or searing. In ancient times, the star rose just before sunrise during the hottest summer period, the so called dog days. Greek and Romans mm -hmm. believed the star was somehow responsible for the summer heat. In Egypt, Sirius marked hmm. the flooding of the Nile, the star's helical Ooh. rising just before the annual flooding and the summer solstice, played a crucial role in the Egyptian calendar during the Middle Kingdom era, along with the stars Rigel in Orion, Alderbaran in Taurus, Capella in Auriga, Pollux and Castor in Gemini, 
and Procyon and Canis Minor, Sirius forms the winter hexagon or winter circle. Oh asterism. my God. Right? Wow. The winter hexagon. I've never hex. heard of that. Yeah. And it's winter. Uh huh. And they call it, they also call it the autumn star. Serious? Like, um, uh, like Homer uh, says the autumn star whose br- brilliant ray shines imminent amid the depth of night, whom men call the dog star over, uh, whom men, who men the dog star of Orion call? That's what Homer wrote. Hmm. It's like called the autumn star. Uh, so it reminds me of like the season. It's like of a like of a fall. Yeah. Three, four, five. A hexagon is five sides, right? Six. Six. Okay. So Sirius is one of those stars, and Canis, uh, and Procyon in Canis Minor, and Sirius is in Canis Major. So those six stars form the winter hexagon asterism, which appears prominently in the north or northern sky between December and March. Sirius is also part of the winter triangle, or the great southern triangle, oh together with Procyon and Canis Minor. And Beetlege- Beetlegeist, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice in Orion constellation. Did you ever watch that as a kid? Oh yeah, of course. Who hasn't? Oh my god, I love that movie. Oh, <laughs> how like ahead of its time was it? Uh, I don't know if it was ahead of its time, but it, it was okay for sure. It's, for sure, it's an iconic movie. But with a lot of those iconic movies, when you go back and watch them again, you're like, oh, this was better when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, at least it's going to be better now. <laughs> um, let's get into Adhara, uh, Epsilon Canis Major- and Epsilon Canis Majoris, or it is called Epsilon Canis Majoris. Adhara is the second brightest star in Canis Major and the 24th. 24th brightest star in the sky. Its name comes from the Arabic Arhara, which means virgins. Hmm. It is a binary star that lies about 430 light years from Earth. I want people to take note of Adhara, meaning virgins. Okay. Take note. Yes. The primary component belongs to the spectral class B2 and has an apparent magnitude of 1.5. It is the brightest known ultraviolet. Ultra violet, ultra violet sources in the sky. The companion star has an apparent magnitude of 7.5 and is located 7.5 uh, something away from the primary. It has like an inch mark next to it, but I don't think it's 7.5 inches. I don't know if that means feet or miles or millions, or I have no idea. Uh, about 4.7 million years ago, Adhara was the brightest star in the sky. It was only 34 light years in distance and had a magnitude of negative 3.99. No other star has ever been as bright since, nor is one expected to be in the next 5 million years. That's astonishing. Um, 
I did say ultraviolet a couple times up there because violet is, you know, the highest in the uh, color wheel. It's a uh, the well, it's purple also, and, and you brought and up purple, um, virgins. Right. right, exactly. Um, that's what I think of. Yes, <laughs> purple. Uh, also, um, it's a also, color of royalty, right? Yes, most definitely. That's why we hear like these famous stories about these royal families and then end up worshiping them. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I wanted to add that uh, there's uh, it, it's a zero uh, type star, uh, which means it's a, a star of a spectral type zero characterized by absorption lines of ionized helium in its spectrum. Both stars are the hottest and brightest stars in the main sequence with surface temperatures in the range from 30,000 to 50,000 K and luminosities from 30,000 up to 2 million times of that of the sun. So, yeah, I just wanted to say that. Um, so it's hot shit. It's hot and old <laughs> and bright. Hot and old. And main sequence. Yeah. Oh. I just so wanted to bring uh, that up. And also that um, it is uh, with other small stars in the body of the dog, uh, the Chinese called it the Yaki, Y-A-K-E, which means the wild cock. <laughs> yeah. Yaki. Um, the next next one up is Wezen. W-E-Z-E-N, also known as Delta Canis Majoris. Wezen is a yellow-white F-type supergiant, approximately 1,800 light-years distant. As an apparent magnitude of 1.83 is the third brightest star in the Canis Major, Wezen can also be found about 10 degrees southeast of Sirius. Its name is derived from the Arabic Al-Wazan, meaning the weight. The star's estimated age is 10 million years old, which means that it will become a red supergiant within the next 100,000 years and eventually a supernova. Um, next one up is Merzam, also known as... Hold Becca. on, I just want to... Um... The Chinese knew it uh, with the K in the N of Canis Major with the stars in Argo as Hu, Shi, the bow and arrow. Um, so I just wanted to add that into. Okay. I think that's interesting because um, Argo Navis has a lot to do with this as well. So I just wanted to. It's the bow and arrow in Chinese culture. Yeah. Merzam, Baticanus Majoris. Merzam, all Merzim, Merzim, is a blue-white giant with brightness varying between magnitude 1.95 and 2.0. Is at approximately 500 light-years distance. Uh, the star's name comes from the Arabic word or the herald presumably referring to Merzam's position in the sky. The star rises before Sirius, and it heralds it. 
So that's mm. very interesting. Also, Mirzam is classified as Betis Cephi variable, a star that exhibits variations in brightness as results of pulsations of its surface. Ooh, it oscillates. Oscillating. Yeah. Uh, the Ooh. next one up is Aludra. Eta Canis Majoris. Aludra is a, an alpha Cygni type variable star with luminosity varying between magnitude 2.38 and 2.48. It's a blue supergiant, approximately 300 light years distant and already approaching the final stages of its life. It's expected to become a supernova within the next few million years. The star's name is derived from the Arabic Al Aror or Adra, meaning mm. the Virgin, along with Adhara, Wezen, and Omicron 2. Omicron. Canis Majoris. Omicron. Uh, what the fuck? Yeah. Omicron. Edit that out. <laughs> Aludra <laughs> was one of the stars known as the Virgins. I'm not, I don't edit anything. So whatever you say goes on air. That's horrible. <laughs> Sorry. It takes too much time to edit. Uh, well, Tua, I didn't want to say that. This one is the wild cock. I had this one confused with the other virgin one, but uh, this one is the wild cock. My bad. And I wanted to correct myself. Okay. Uh, next up is uh, Canis Majoris. Tau Canis Majoris. Uh, Tau, T-A-U. CMA is an eclipsing spectroscopic binary star about 3,200 light years from Earth. It is the brightest star of the open cluster NGC 2363, non globular cluster, called Whale 64. There you go. Which is why the cluster is sometimes called the Tau Canis Majoris Cluster. The star is an O-type blue supergiant classified as a beta Lyrae type variable. Its brightness varies between magnitude 4.32 and 4.37 with a period of 1.28 days. Um, mm. The Tuach, the Tau Canis Majoris cluster is an open cluster, a group of stars born from the same molecular cloud. This means that all the clusters inhabitants share a common chemical composition and are loosely bound together by gravity. Having been born together, they make an ideal stellar laboratory to test theories of stellar evolution. The chain of events that lead from a star's birth in a cool, dense cloud of gas through its eventual death. Though the stars in this image were all created at the same time, their various different masses mean they will lead a very different lives. As Tau Canis Major Majoris is one of the most massive and short-lived types of stars. It will burn through its nuclear fuel long before its smaller companions, which will keep on shining for billions of years. Wow. Dang. Well, that was like major T. I thought that was cool, so I had to read it. Uh, yeah. Next up is Furud, P-H-U-R-U-D. Uh, 
also known as Zeta Furud. Yep. What the Fred? <laughs> also known as Zeta <laughs> Catus Majoris. Furud or Furud is a spectroscopic binary star. Its name comes from the Arabic phrase Al Furud, which means the solitary ones. The star lies about 366 or 336 light years from Earth and has an apparent magnitude of 3.02. The brighter component is a blue-white B-type main-sequence dwarf. The companion is an unseen star. The two orbit around the common center once every 675 days. That is freaking nuts. The geometry of that. Yeah. That's coconuts. <laughs> there we go. Mulafin. M-U-L-I-P-H-E-I-N. Canis. Uh, it's also known as Gamma Canis Majoris. Mulafin is a blue-white B-type bright giant, approximately 402 light years distance, as an apparent magnitude of 4.11. Um, deep sky... Objects in Canis Major are Messier 41. M41 is an open cluster located four degrees south of Sirius. It is 25 to 26 light years in diameter and between 190 and 240 million years old. The cluster contains about 100 stars, with the brightest one being a K3 type giant located near the center of the cluster. M41 also contains several red giants. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, the cluster is approximately 2300 light years distance and it's uh, apparent magnitude of 4.5 it was discovered by the Italian astronomer Giovanni Battista Odirna in the 17th century uh, Canis major dwarf galaxy is an irregular galaxy, roughly elliptical in shape, that is believed to be the nearest neighboring galaxy to the solar system. It is approximately 2,500 light years distance from Earth and 4,200 light years away from the galactic center. The Canis Major Dwarf Galaxy contains about a billion stars, among them a Jesus. significant number of red giants. The galaxy was first discovered in 2003 by an international team of astronomers. It is a difficult object to observe because it lies behind the plane of the Milky Way, obscured by stars, dust, and gas. Because the galaxy's main body is highly degraded, the Canis Major Dwarf is believed to be severely affected by the Milky Way's gravitational field. There are a number of yes, globular clusters. That's important. Uh, uh, yes. Go ahead. Did you have more? Yeah. No, I was just going to say that that is extremely important, what you just said. Okay. Because uh, it's affected by the Milky Way's gravitational field? Yeah, the tightly bound, um, that's how tightly bound the stars are. That's why it contains so many. Ah. Uh. You know what I mean? Because uh -huh. the gravitational pull 
literally binds them. They're bound to that ring or whatever. They're they're where they are. Because, wow, it's incredible. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Because the galaxy's main body is highly... De- okay, did that. There are a number of globular clusters associated with the galaxy. Among them is non-globular cluster 1851 or non-globular cluster 1904 and non-globular cluster 2808 it's very hard to say globular by the way these clusters are thought to be Mm -hmm. remnants of the dwarf's globular cluster system before the galaxy started getting pulled apart and swallowed into the milky way Mm, not swallowed yeah no, no, no. <laughs> uh, why does uh, it always end like that? <laughs> Next up is non-glo- <laughs> non-globular cluster 2359, Thor's helmet. Uh, NGC 2359 is an emission nebula in Canis Major. It's about 30 light years in size and some 1,500 light years distant from Earth. The nebula is formed around the central wolf rayet star, an exceptionally hot giant which will meet its end as a supernova. If you guys have not seen what Thor's helmet nebula looks like, you should go check it out on Google. Google search Thor's helmet nebula. Uh, Looks like a jellyfish, kind of. Kind of what it looks like. Okay, can I just can I um just read the definition from my nerdy book of what an emission nebula is? Yeah, <clears throat> it's very in- it's pretty interesting. Okay, so it's a cloud of gas in space that emits light. Ultraviolet radiation from nearby stars heats the gas of the nebula, causing its atoms to become ionized, which makes them lose their electrons. Um, And then the electrons gain energy from the ultraviolet radiation. When they eventually recombine with the atoms, they re-emit the energy they gained, some of it at a visible wavelength. The free electrons in the gas also lose energy in the form of radio waves, so emission nebula can also be detected by radio telescopes. Interstellar gas is mostly hydrogen, which is easily ionized by the ultraviolet light and the symbol for ionized hydrogen is H2. So H, you know, the famous H, hydrogen uh, 2. And such emission nebula are therefore called H2 regions. Hydrogen gives off its strongest light in the red, so emission nebula appear red on photographs. However, to the eye, they often look green because the eye responds more readily to a prominent pair of spectral lines of this color emitted by the oxygen. So hot stars that emit ultraviolet lights are usually young, having recently formed from the gas and dust cloud around them. Thus, the occasion between the stars and gas clouds is not by chance. A famous example is the Orion Nebula, with the trapezium stars inside it. 
Emission nebula are very tenuous, especially every gram of material is a spread through a volume of a cubic kilometer. Okay. So, yeah. Excellent. Thank you for that. That's kind of a story in the story in itself. Mm -hmm. like. <laughs> I'm going to uh, explain, okay. explain this image of Thor's helmet. It says, uh, this VLT, which I don't know what that means, image of Thor's helmet nebula was taken on the occasion of ESO's 50th anniversary, October 12th. Uh, October 2012, with the help of Bridget Bellule, winner of the Tweet Your Way to the VLT competition. <clears throat> the observations okay. were broadcast live over the internet from Paranal Observatory in Chile. This object, known as NGC 2359, lies in the constellation of Canis Major, the Great Dog. The helmet-shaped helmet nebula is around 15,000 light-years away from Earth and is over 30 light-years across. The helmet is a cosmic bubble blown as the wind from the bright massive star near the bubble's center sweeps through the surrounding molecular cloud. Mm. So, so that's why that's, that's why it's called Thor's helmet because if you look at it, it looks like the big bubble part in the middle is like creating like a helmet, and the red gases uh, that she described on on why it forms the red gases. Yeah, it's it lost its uh, hydrogen or something, right? Yeah, yeah, it's emitted oxygen, not by chance, too. It's after being separated and then put back together, pretty much. Yeah, so it has these red gas clouds that come off of the bubble, and it looks like, you know, Thor's, like, winged helmet or whatnot. And so that's, I believe that's why they're calling it Thor's helmet. Or they just wanted a cool name to call it, but it could also be called Mercury's helmet. Uh, NGC Well, there's something to a name. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> NGC 2207 and IC 2163 are colliding spiral galaxies in Canis Major. They are approximately 80 million mm. light years distant. The galaxies were discovered by the English astronomer John Herschel in 1835. They have an apparent magnitudes of 12.2 and 11.6 respectively three supernovae have been observed in ngc 2207 in recent decades s in 1975a in 1975 sn 1999ec in 1999 and sn 2003h in 2003 hmm. i'm really good with naming shit the galaxies are in the <laughs> process of tidal stripping with the larger galaxy pulling stars and other material from the smaller one. This that is nuts. Yeah, that is, is coconuts for real. This is wild. I'm gonna We're watching a galaxy form like a big bang. I'm gonna share a screen with you just so you can see it too. It looks like Al's eyes. 
Yeah, um, doesn't it look like something like spooky? Okay, so yeah, and it's in a super eight, like a, a, a like an infinity form. Uh huh. Yeah, and um, kind of has so like a clearly grimacing they're smile like either too. Mating, right? They're either mating because they're stripping the titles of these galaxies and renaming them. Uh, that's um, just beyond like absolutely insane, almost as insane as saying Pluto's not a planet. Um, <laughs> like, it's not a planet. <laughs> they that's wild. Figured it out. I mean, what the hell? Um, so I just think that this is something that is like amazing. And my books are so old that they don't even mention this. So um, oh, this wow. is beautiful. Yeah. It's a pretty cool uh, image. Um, it's interesting because it looks like the Analima over Earth. Oh. And that is the last one for Canis Majoris or Canis Major. And so now we get into. I was waiting on this. Okay. Now we get into some Dogon, right? So, one people, Dogon and Egyptian, many mysteries. The Gogon are a tribe that lives in a desert land of Mali near the border of Burkina Faso. It is a place that welcomed them after their escape to avoid the ex- expansionist pressure of the medieval empires. We are around the year mm. 1000 during the fierce battles of the banks of the Niger River. Many researchers have already discussed the range of mysteries that surround these people, but what interests us particularly for the development of the hypothesis contained in this article is their complex cosmology based on faith in a creative god, Alma, and in creation produced the movements of the egg of the world. Um, On the basis of these beliefs, the Nomo, the eight progenitors of the Dogon, brought the earth in a basket containing the clay necessary to build the grain stores of their villages. This image, which at first appears to be quite simple and devoid of particular significance, hides in reality very profound knowledge of the universe and the celestial bodies. So this image is like a picture of an egg or egg-shaped type of thing. And it has some interesting writings on them. Um, Wouldn't you think that like a little kid just scratched that on a wall somewhere? Yes. As a couple upside-down horseshoes or letter N's, right? Uh, has one that looks like the letter in lowercase. It uh, has an X, couple X's, X, some O's, a C, O's. Uh, a weird. That kind of looks like a crook. Yeah, yeah, but like equal in size, equal, like the handle would be equal to the, to the metal part, you know, the blade. Blade. Yeah, and then there's a circle with uh, uh, what are these called? I don't know. Quote, quote, 
quote things. You know, when you write, you have little quote marks. Oh, quotations. Oh, yeah, you think that's or, what that is? Okay. Well, it has a and circle. It's a with, vowel. Well, I, I'm just saying. It's like, a vowel it's, too. It's a circle with quotations above it and quotations below it, basically. Um, so God, I'm just trying so to describe sense. describe the images that are on this circle. The gran graner granary represents the universe. Its scales symbolize both the males and females that generated the Dogon and the various stars and constellation. In this sense, we will find the Pleiades in the north, Orion in the mm. south, and a comet to the west. So everything started with a basket or container mm. that carried life. Which, what does that remind that you of? Everything. Okay, so that reminds me of the Book of Enoch immediately. That reminds me of the Ark. That reminds me of the Egyptians. That reminds me of the um, uh, the uh, brother and sister who met in the sky over the celestial sphere. So that therefore they didn't have to go through like the weighing of the heart, whatever that was. That um, okay. Ralph Ellis showed us. Uh-huh. It reminds me, it's it could possibly be a love story because, like, uh, or it could be something that, like, okay, so you know how we just looked at that, those two universes or galaxies that are colliding. Mm-hmm. Now, picture this picture the Pleiades colliding with the Orions. And that's how we got here. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a hypothesis. It's hugely emphasized in the keys of Enoch, but in a very strange, Aryan, um, odd way. It's like propaganda, but it's still a, a damn fine read. <laughs> um, so, so basically, that's old. I, I guess that's like wild that that's even talked about in africa a long long ass time ago okay so what it reminds me of is it says so everything started with a basket or a container that carried life and you have like these sumerian depictions of them with uh these baskets right and they have like the pine cone and they're putting it on somebody's head uh you also have these oh. baskets in Goblecki tepe you have the three baskets there yeah. Uh, you also have Leaving. these baskets in Egyptian mythology too, a little bit, uh, but mostly you see it in Sumerian or uh, Anunnaki. Uh, so everybody always wonders what's in the basket, what's in the basket. So it's very interesting here that says it all started with a basket or container that carried life. So what they're doing is they're. Moses. I think what they're doing with the baskets and those depictions is they are granting life or kingship. Drawing for yeah, water. They're, they're, it's like holy water. It's like the idea of holy water, right? That's or like kinda, marrying to like the alchemical marriage. Like when they of dip, something. And I think they dip their fingers in the holy water and they put it on your forehead and then. Or you dip it and you put it on your forehead, your chest, and your shoulders to make the cross. But I think 
that's what they were doing in ceremony was they were dipping the pine cone into the waters of life and touching your head and uh basically it was like a blessing and giving you life so the you, wild cock giving you create <laughs> giving you consciousness creation it's giving you that you know which it's crazy because that reminds me of the Pleiades and the like virgin cults or like the virginity people, the virgins, the seven sisters, yeah. the uh -huh. the Mary, um, like Isis, all of these like um female cults, which I'm I'm just saying, um, you said touch the, the cone on the forehead, like yeah. I mean, it's almost like a possession. No, I don't think so. It's giving life. You don't? You think it's a love story? You always you always go to the negative with everything. I, I don't think you need to. Just take it for what it says. It's giving life. Yeah, but sometimes it's not always a great thing. I'm just saying it's it's a theory. It's a theory that I mean, like we're like generated like through star systems in a lab in outer space and blah 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 blah, whatever, or like some big bang or you know what have you, or, or like these people come down and teach us, or that's great. Yeah. I wish they'd come down again and teach us some more shit. Like, hey, I'm on the radio waves. Come on down. Well, what if Unless the big bang? Bad. What if the big bang was actually just like. Like we saw with that star cluster, how they were like going towards each other and like eating at each other. And eventually they just collided and everything just blew up. And all of those little yeah. pieces blew up and that all created a whole new galaxy formation or a whole new, you know what I mean? Star cluster. Star cluster. So maybe a that's whole what... New Maybe it wasn't like just something just blew up from itself. Maybe it was like the stars were all there already somehow, some way. Uh, you know, every there is no beginning and no end, so it's hard to say. So it just always was. The spontaneous right? combustion is just the meeting of the two and back in the one, the alchemical marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Takes cool. two two to become one right it does and that that's pretty much prevalent is, through all the myths too is the, the 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 child the mother and the father child mother and father everywhere it's all about creation that's, that's wild because that's highly spoken of in like the keys of enoch um to be closer to your family like go back to your family which is wild yeah so it shows about. how old this stuff is and, and how repetitive it is repetitive yeah because telling you the purpose of life is to procreate to beget more life that's what you need to do well we're not going to be able to procreate if we keep messing with our genetics for fun true that just to see what happens um that's how you end up with monsters. no children literal monsters yeah. scenes and underground scenes. temple cults <laughs> I'm stretching it there babe 
Um, let's get back into. I'm some. telling you, I. Let's. What are you telling me? Well, I mean, in the like Gospel of Mary, the Nagamati, you know, the infancy, uh, according to James version, um, it's extremely interesting and had it. It still is in circulation, I think, in some places, but it's considered apocryphal because it is part of the Nagamati. But um, it explains a lot about her immaculate conception and that whole idea of conceiving um, without while still being a virgin and how that is actually possible. But um, my brain has wrestled with that a lot um, because I think it is possible. And I think that some, I think the Pleiades and I think some people and some things had to do with it that we're not aware of. But I think that um, these people really did that. I think that there's something to it, whether it's like succubus, incubus type situation (laughs) or... I'm dead ass. I know, or but just it's like always a holy... to the negative. Well, I'm just saying, I that my mind's wrestled with the whole um, immaculate conception three times over. You know, what about just sperm donation? What about if they don't have actual sexual intercourse, but they take donations like goodwill? Well, according to the stories, and this is not just biblical texts, it's the sacred text in general, when these women were visited by these beings, uh, these angels, these messengers of light, um, they were told that, you know, this is what's going to happen, blah, 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 blah. But, I mean, they weren't like based it like chickens i don't think (laughs) well i mean when you when you you need to send emissaries to go tell them that you're gonna that she's gonna have a baby by a god uh i mean what else is there i mean basically it's like saying yeah uh god's gonna come put it in you pretty soon so just be ready for that i mean uh, I, Basically, I, I wrestle father, with this idea of, of gods being rape. being physical. Uh, I, I think humans uh, acted as gods. Uh, it, it's even kind and don't you think they'd be even more horrible than they are now? Humans are even horrible now. Imagine if they did act like gods now. Like, so you have to consider like even rape. Sorry if that's not even allowed on this, but. The R R word, you know. Yeah, Zeus did it all the time. That's what I'm saying. Like so. Yeah. Um, I wrestle with this all the time, but either way, uh, the it wouldn't be still a living story and so prominent if it wasn't. People wouldn't venerate Mary and Isis and these. Uh, these goddesses like they do if there wasn't some sort of uh, sacred meaning for it. That's all I gotta say. I mean... And they have their place. And Sure. 
I mean, people can believe what how whatever stories they want to believe, but uh, you know, personally, I think it's probably something human. I don't think any spiritual being was impregnating anybody. Uh, people take it to that sense because they want this supernatural type of thing to happen, and they want some superhero. Basically, they they want. Okay, so get. Yes, they've been practicing eugenics since the beginning of time. Yes. I don't know why. I don't know what's going on. Um, but the thing about it is, is like, oof. it's about their blood. It's about blood. It's about the plasma in your blood. I'm telling you, there's something mercurial about that. And there's something very important about that, I think. Um, because we're able to, with our blood, uh, that's what gives us pretty much life, obviously. But that's how we're fluid. That's how we move. We're able to do things. Like, yes, yeah, our oil. If you really believe in spirits, yes, it's the oil. And since we're in the Bible, you know how important that is. Yeah. So we're the hands and feet. And, like then i mean we could go down five rabbit holes but yeah so cool (laughs) Uh, i'm just gonna stop yeah i think you know i think that we have in culture today a different idea of what rape is according to like the ancient way i think it just had to do with like this because when you take zeus for what he actually is he's it's astronomical right it's not an actual god it's an archetype of astronomical thing so when you say rape or whatever obviously something collided with something else to create something and since we're talking yeah, about stars i want to i'm going to relate it, it to that invited. instead <laughs> but in the stories in this but is why they're always always too. in the skies never invited. invited when you get collisions collisions are never something that's really invited it's something that happens they things spiral out of control right control. It's the chaos exactly and that's like uh, i mean that's a really hard one to like think swallow. about because <laughs> or even swallow or try to use my throat chakra to even talk about because that's coconuts okay it's catastrophized because obviously zeus appeared to be something that he's not okay so that's the well, main he didn't. that is the that's the main humans created him to be story. something that he's not he's, he's always trickster. been an astro- so astronomical archetype so you look in the mirror and that is the person that is your biggest enemy Pretty much because the sun is just like a reflection facing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the way that the stories are played out with Zeus being, you know, God and then Apollo being the sun God um, because of Zeus and then all of this crazy shit. But um, the point of that is he never, like, these women some of these women were already promised to athena like promised chastity to a different goddess 
that was, uh, you know, well known. Remember when I was reading the story before of the myth, you said, yeah, but that's just the Greek myth and that's just how they saw it. And all these other places see it differently. And that's their myths. And that's the same thing with this story. It's, it's just this, this is just the way that the Greeks or Romans described these types of things. This isn't actual, actually what happened. They just created stories around these archetypes. So these, he never raped anybody because he doesn't, he never existed in the first place. He's the archetype of an astronomical event or a mm. planet. And it's or it's a mirror. Jupiter, uh, obviously. Or what happened first? The chicken, the egg, or the rooster? The rooster. He came first. Exactly. The rooster doesn't come. There, there is no fertilization. There's no bard. <laughs> the rooster came. If Noah didn't come on the ark, he wouldn't have had any knowledge. And you have to have at least somebody to carry on some knowledge with you. For sure. If you decide to freaking end the world. <laughs> yeah. If you decide to like, let me start back over. Okay. Let's get back to Dogon. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, uh, People can weigh in themselves on what we're talking about. Uh, you can uh, send us some emails on or on Instagram at uh, Danu Naki Dan on Instagram and the Morgan B on Instagram. If you want to, the yell Morgan at us or B agree underscore. Morgan B. How's it go? Underscore. Underscore where? At the end. Oh, I okay. never say that. I keep forgetting it's at the Morgan M O R R I G A N B underscore. Okay. Um, that's me. And yeah. Cool. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, I'm always up for a de- for a friendly debate or <laughs> even just like learning something or teaching something that I already know to other she's people. Very like that's just as like, you can tell. Um so no, it's interesting that the Dogon have dog in the name, right? First and foremost. I I thought that's interesting. Because we're talking about, well, it's backwards. It's no God. Anyways. <gasps> no God. I didn't even. <gasps> <laughs> that was dog on no gods. And then also the nomo, nomo backwards is omen or amen, oh which is God. a God in Egypt, right? Amen Ra. Uh, so those are both very interesting. So reading. Well, we still say that at the end of prayers. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Uh, so let's get into Dogon astronomical knowledge after that 20 minute rant we did. Okay. But the thing that Um, most stuck struck these. Oh, but the thing that struck the two scholars was the finding that despite Dogon having come in into contact with our civilization in fairly recent times, about the beginning of the century, they possessed incredible scientific and astronomical knowledge. Some of this knowledge was certainly the result of cultural heritage that is millennia old, but one element in particular has decidedly current decidedly current characteristics. 
the detailed knowledge of the star Sirius. The Dogon were in fact aware of the fact that Sirius is a binary system, i.e. consisting of two stars, a, Sirius A and B. They were aware of the fact that Sirius B revolves around Sirius A with elliptical orbit of and or elliptical orbit and over a period of corresponding to 50 years. And the most disconcerting discovery was that Dogon knew the exact position of Sirius A within the ellipse. Uh, many may wonder what That's is beautiful. so disconcerting. Wait, scroll up. Like oh, that's so beautiful. Diamond okay. in the it sky. looks like a diamond. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Oh, yeah. Okay. Many may wonder what is so disconcerting about all this. The amazement arises from the fact that it was only in 1862 when the American astronomer Alvin Clark deduced the existence of Sirius B using a telescope among the most advanced for that era, and it was not before 1970 that he, there was confirmation of the existence of this star, not to mention a photograph of it. Yet the Dogon knew of it hundreds of years before, and not only that, they called Sirius B with the name of Po Tolo. This name is certainly the most apt and shocking way to describe this system, the term Tolo, in fact, means star, while Po refers to a typical uh, serial that has the characteristic of being extremely heavy, heavy despite its small size, an expression, therefore, very close to reality since Sirius B is a white dwarf and, as such, has a very high density, like we talked about, wesen, weighted. So, all this information is practically inaccessible without adequate astronomical equipment, and it is useless to specify that Dogon had never come into possession of any such instrument. They even ignored its existence. But the mystery does not end here. The Dogon, in fact, used to represent the planet Saturn as surrounded by a sort of halo, thus demonstrating that they knew of its rings. Moreover, they knew that the planet Jupiter had around four companions, which correspond exactly to its four main moons. As if this were not mm. enough, they depicted the Earth as a sphere and knew that this sphere revolves around its axis and together with other spheres, the planets, around the sun. And last but not least, it is surprising that the Dogon, or in any case the elders of the village, described our galaxy as an immense spiral shape. We know very well that this concept began to be disclosed by Western astronomers only at the beginning of this century. For the Dogon, Sirius B was the first created star, the first star created by God, and it represents the fulcrum of the universe. All matter developed from it, including souls, mm. following a complex spiral motion, the same that is symbolized in the intertwined baskets. Saturn is surrounded Ooh. by rings. Jupiter has four main moons, and four calendars are used, one for the sun, one for the moon, one for Sirius, and one for Venus. 
Needless to say that the Dogon believe a truth attested from ancient times, the fact that the planets orbit around the sun. The, Go the Dogon know what logically they should not know. Their knowledge is not the result of ancient legacies acquired by observing the sky and the stars with the naked eye, as happened in another civilization. They simply know this is the most disturbing part of the Dogon mystery. The Nomo cult. Yeah. An old Dogon legend tells of when the god of the universe, Ama, sent the Nomo to Earth. This was a half man half-amphibian creature which landed in the land of the fox, a territory northeast of Bandiagara in the Mopti region. The Nomo was red, but when it touched the ground, it became white. The name Nomo derives from the Dogon word that translates to to do well. Much more often, however, this is remembered as the master of water. Perhaps a reference to the fact that the Nomo could not survive without water. The admonitor or the destroyer. We do not know exactly how this figure can be placed in various events that characterize the growth of the Dogon culture. But it's not so difficult to identify other very similar creatures in different cultures, not only geographically distant, but also with respect to various historical moments. The ancient... Whoa, I'll skip that part. The same type of creature is present in a history of Mesopotamia, written during the 2nd century BC from the priest Bereso. His name was Oanus. His body was similar to that of a fish. He lived only in water yes. and had feet similar to those of a man. Are these images referring yep. to the same event? So if people know about the Sumerian culture, there's uh, some Oanis, oh, fish head and fish body looking things. Uh, some people say this is where we get the Pope hat from. Actually, it's an open fish yeah. mouth. Uh, they also have those little baskets, right? Um, well, like some have him as the prototype of Noah as well. Ah, yes. Oannes, yeah. Would make sense. Yes. In any Oannes, case, this ancient, uh, almost primordial figure occupies a prominent place in all African cultures. Not infrequently, for example, in the most internal areas of Africa, people belonging to monotheistic religions turn to the priests of various villages because in situations of extreme difficulty, they invoke the assistance of the Nomo. Finally, let us not forget the god, fish, the Dagon of the Philistines, and the same symbol of the fish which the first Christians used to represent their deity. Whoever or whatever it was, the Nomo still continues to lengthen its shadow on African territory, perhaps as a messenger waiting to be able to reveal ancient truths to those who have the courage and predisposition of mind to listen to it. 
Wow. So that's I a little bit. I think this should be split up into three because it's got three different stories going on. It's got the Egyptian, it's got the Greek, and it's got the Babylonian or the Assyrian mythology as well, like all going on at the same time. And then the different like types and areas, you know, um, I think that is like really important because in the mythology of the Argo in itself, it's got three different tiers. And it's always doing three different like things at once. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's there's there's so much to this, like just the star system in itself. Like the, I, I, it's really amazing. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Very good. Are you saying we should finish next time and stop here, or keep keep going? I mean, we can keep going, but I'm just saying there's like layers on layers of this, and that's okay. Well, let me get into this uh, extra part right here, which is soap debt. Uh, and yes. next time we can do Canis Minor, and then I can bring up Anubis and Wepawet. Um, yes, and bring up Jason and the Argonauts, and also the Babylonian Omphalus when, um, like, <laughs> because it, it it's important how, like, they cut off the oak of the Dodona tree, which is what the wood of the Ark it was made out of in uh, the Argo Dodona wood, which was the speaking wood, which was Athena's way of keeping an eye on Jason or Medea. It doesn't, whichever one. Mm. Um, And it would also guide them. So um, when you cut off the Oak, you cut off the, what is the fruit of Oak acorn? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Indeed it is. Yeah. So I'm going to get into soap debt, S-O-P-D-E-T. And soap debt is the ancient Egyptian name of the star Sirius. It's personification as an Egyptian goddess. Known to the Greeks as Sothis, she was conflated with Isis as a goddess and Anubis as a god. To me, Sothis, this also represents, is representative of uh, Sophia, right? Inanna, Ishtar, Isis. Nephthys. Nephthys is slightly different. And uh, we'll get to that in the next episode. I'll tell you why. Um, Oh. Yeah. The names, uh, the exact pronunciation of ancient Egyptian is uncertain as vowels were not recorded until a very late period, which who, what other language do we know that is like that? In modern transcription, her name usually appears as Sopdet, S-O-P-D-E-T, or S-P-D-T, triangle or sharp one, after the known Greek and Latin form Sophis. So during the early period of Egyptian civilization, the helical rising of the bright star 
preceded the usual annual flooding of the Nile. It was therefore apparently used for solar civil calendar, which largely, large, largely superseded the original lunar calendar in the 3rd millennium BC, 3000 BC. Despite the wandering nature of the Egyptian calendar, the erratic timing in the flood from year to year and the slow procession of Sirius within the solar year, Sopdet continued to remain central to cultural depictions of the year and to celebrations of Wep Renpet, uh, the Egyptian hmm. New Year. She was also venerated as a goddess of the fertility brought to the soil by the flooding. She was long thought Ooh. to be represented by the cow on an ivory tablet from the region of Dajir, which the representation of the cow is very interesting because that's also the representation of Anana or the Great Mother or of the Sinai. Yes. Um, yes. But this is no longer supported which by support. e Egyptologists. During the Old Kingdom, she was an important goddess of the annual flood as a psychopomp guiding deceased pharaohs <laughs> through the Egyptian underworld. During the Middle Kingdom, she was primarily a mother and a nurse, and by the Ptolemaic period, she was almost entirely subsumed into Isis. So the myth of Sopdet hmm. is she is the consort of Sa the personified constellation of Orion near Sirius. Their child, Venus, was the hot god Sopdu, lord of the east, as the bringer of the new year in the Nile flood. She was associated with Osiris from an early date, and the Ptolemaic period saw and Sopdet almost solely appeared in forms conflated with Osiris and Isis. Uh, hmm. She was depicted as a woman with five pointed star upon her head, usually with a hmm. horned headjet similar to Satis in the Ptolemaic and Roman period. The European notion of the dog star caused her to sometimes be re represented as a large dog or as a woman riding on side saddle. From the Middle Kingdom, <laughs> Sopdet sometimes appeared as a god who held up part of Nut, the sky or firmament, with Hathor. In Greco-Roman, so it's three. The male Sopdet was conflated with a dog-headed Anubis. So, yep. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um. So that's a little bit about Sopdet. Uh, there's not really not too much about her. Uh, if you do go look up a picture of her, and you'll see a picture of like an Egyptian figure with what basically kind of looks like a starfish above her head. It really does. Uh, interestingly, on this picture, you see also what looks to be like a little land cruiser vehicle. <laughs> and yeah, you see but like. Uh, like and a bird that flew, like you know, me mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like the <laughs> the one that like just like totally uh, that that made our own pact, basically. You know what I mean? 
Yep. So um, so I just wanted to because I was talking about you were talking about Satis, and I was talking about the Hoshi and the bow and arrow with the Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the goddess Satis, who like her companion Anukis, is hardly to be taken as a separate constellation, but rather as a associate of Sothis. And Dendera be the goddess holds a drawn bow and arrow. Um, and that just literally reminds me of the waiting, the weighing of your heart against the feather. Does that make sense? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so on Wikipedia, they have an image of Sopdet in a red dress with, uh, mm. Look at this thing that she has on her head. This uh, bandana with two, two like uh, things coming off of it, right? Now, when we talked to yeah. Ralph Ellis the other day, he was talking about images of Jesus and how he was wearing this same type of uh, headdress, this bandana-looking thing with two long ends coming off of it uh that's it looks pr- male almost yeah it's interesting because the virgin mary is also known as um something to do with a red dress there's this quote of her in the bible with with a red dress on and uh it seemingly is I need representing to get into what the different color dresses are this cult of isis right this Isis cult, this red dress. And wasn't it serious that used to be red, but it is now blue? Mm-hmm. And so maybe I think that might have something to do with uh, the red dress. Is this representing the star Sirius? And it was red in color before it became blue. Something happened to Sirius, which uh, I'm going to find it out flooded. Some, more, some more information about that. It flooded. It flooded. I'm telling you, so, yeah, that's there's a flood somewhere. Some it, it, because like there's a flood that happened here, but it happened somewhere else too. That happened here, you know what I mean? Like in the in the cosmological sphere. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's what I I think it is. Uh, We're and- just like how in a love story. I, I don't even know. I, I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah, I think Indy, Indy told me something about, I think, uh, in like mid, the medieval era, it turned from like a red dwarf into a blue something rather. So I'm going to look into that and see if there's anything about that in the Middle Ages about serious changing colors. Because that would be interesting to find out. But... Um, but I'm going to kind of leave it here because as I go into Canis Minor, which is probably going to be another long, long one, uh, then I'm going to get into Anubis from there and set and, and connect these deities, uh, together in Egypt. And Jason and the Argonauts in Sacred 50. You can do that one because I don't know what that is about oh it's fun i'd love it okay perfect (laughs) so it will connect the two perfectly as well Mm -hmm. so with that 
yeah, check out the stars. Look up, everybody. Uh, Look up. Yeah, soap that serious. Uh, this connection to ISIS cults, this connection to Immaculate Conceptions, uh, connection to Osiris and ISIS, all very, very intriguing. There's something going on here that's deep and uh, very much rooted because we seem to repeat all of these same stories over and 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 over again. So... And worship the same deities by the, like, it's like the, when the veil lifts or whatever, because in the story of Mary, um, the reason why all of this happened, according to the gospel of James, is because they needed another veil. Um, so I don't know if that's the proverbial mist, so therefore we can't see what's actually happening in the sky, or, you know what have you like these deities or what whatever that exists that we keep repeating and exist in keeping in mind over and over again and keeping alive um you know what i mean like it's crazy for coconuts nuts coconuts um that's coconuts okay i had so much fun i'm excited to get into jason and the argonauts and the sacred 50 having to do with this one freaking star yes all right that's well, not even in that constellation <laughs> well i'm interested interested to hear what you came up with so thank you again morgan and thank you everybody for listening peace out and until next time have a good one look up look up